Well, welcome again. Good morning, and thanks for being here with us today. Um, so, as we talk today about new opportunities, new places, new facilities, and things like that, I have to tell you a little story. So, I bought uh, my first house, uh, Sarah was still in college, finishing out her degree. I'd lived a year with roommates in an apartment. I was not old enough to rent a car, but apparently I was old enough to get a home loan. So cool. So I bought a house and um, we move in. I was going to have a couple of buddies rent rooms for a year or so till Sarah finished school. And, um, and we come into this neighborhood and it's a beautiful little cul-de-sac, quiet little place, a uh, nice little house. Um, but the landscaping was just overgrown. Uh, what are those bushes? They're all gnarly and, uh, tangly and ugly and they can get just massive. Um, I want to say arborvita, but I don't think that's what it actually is. But they had this massive bush like right in front of the house and it blocked your view out or in either way. Um, and so we figured, well, we just got to pull this out and, and redo a few of the beds at the house. I just moved into the neighborhood. Uh, a couple buddies and I go outside and we cut off just enough branches low on this bush to hook up a toe strap. Um, we hook the other end of the toe strap to the back of my Jeep, this old 75 CJ5 that's like been pieced together. It's too big and it's too loud. And here we are in the cul-de-sac of this quiet, beautiful little neighborhood, uh, just having moved in, ready to pull the, this massive bush out of the front bed. Well, so naturally you put it in four-wheel drive and you give it some gas and nothing happened. Like this tree was pretty solid. I learned afterwards there's a lot of roots involved in like trees and bushes. The thing didn't go anywhere. So I did what any intelligent young 20-something year old would do. You get some slack in the rope and you hit it, man. We're pulling this bush out of the ground. Well, uh, you might imagine what happens next. The Jeep keeps going and the bumper stays with the tree, right? This is like, hi, everyone. We're in the neighborhood now. So my neighbor walks over, uh, having watched this all happen out his window, and he brings a chainsaw and a shovel, and we start digging and cutting roots, and then eventually uh, pull it out with the front bumper on the Jeep in reverse. It was awesome. So, I, I mean into the neighborhood. We move into a new place, new people to know, new experiences to have. We've all had uh, those moments in life, and they're exciting, and they're intimidating. They're full of opportunity, and often they come with some sort of opposition or challenge or struggle associated as well. In John chapter 1, verse 14, uh, it says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Now, this is uh, the message by Eugene Peterson. Otherwise, it might be translated, uh, the word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us, is how it would be said in the NIV. I think this is some of the most beautiful prose in Scripture. I love this. Uh, John starts out his gospel telling about Jesus, describing um, the Word was God and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning and all things were created through him. And the Word that it speaks of here is Jesus. What we see described in John 1.14 is this uh, idea of uh, incarnation. That means becoming flesh. Uh, it's the story of Jesus who uh, shed his heavenly existence um, to move into the neighborhood. I love, I love how Eugene Peterson describes that. Jesus came and he dwelt among us. 
Now, I've, I've often wondered, um, why did God choose the plan of salvation that he did? Why did it involve death on a cross and, you know, suffering and all of this? And, well, I can't claim to fully understand the mind and the purposes of God. I have come to this, as is referenced elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, there's no greater act of love than to lay down your life for another. That in Jesus having come to earth, uh, he demonstrated this greatest act of love, that God demonstrated for us the extent to which he loves us. I think further as I consider, so, so why come to earth? I think there's a beautiful piece to this story that says, God is not a far off God, but the God that will come and move into the neighborhood. That in Jesus, he came and he walked the streets And he lived in community with people, and they laughed together, and they ate together, and he taught them all of this having to do with, like, presence. He came, and and he was in close proximity to humanity, not a far-off God, but a God that moves into the neighborhood. Have you ever been someplace in your life that you're like, "This, this is just powerful, right? Those of you that like outdoors, for me, it's a four-wheel drive vehicle in the mountains. Like, there's nothing closer to heaven for me than just being out in nature and seeing new and beautiful things and the views and the weather and all that's involved in that, I absolutely love. I remember years ago, I, I experienced the power of a place when I traveled to Peru And I've been to quite a number of countries on mission trips before, but Peru captured my heart in a way that uh, no, no other country had to that point in my life. I went there and I experienced people in poverty that knew hospitality and generosity in ways I had not come to know in my own life. Like I went there and I saw a Christian community that was small and maybe maybe oppressed, uh, certainly without many resources, but who loved opportunity to, to come together, to worship God, to spend time uh, in, in community with each other. And Peru, this place, I mean, the, the beauty of it and the beauty of just the demeanor of the people that I got to experience there. It captured my heart. And, and I was like, man, this is just a powerful and beautiful place. This is, I would love to be here. I would love to work here. I would love to stay here. I think each of us has probably had experiences in life where we went somewhere and we experienced that power. Like, this is a place that is special. I love this for its beauty, for its people, whatever it is. And yet I think quite often in our lives, we fail to recognize the power in the place in which we are rooted. Like, how easy is it to overlook the, the beautiful opportunity that our homes are, that our workplaces are, that the Tri-Cities is, that our neighborhood is, right? Isn't it so easy to look off at those trips that we've taken and say, wow, that is a powerful, beautiful, amazing place, and to totally lose sight of the fact that God has placed us here, and God has placed us now. A couple of years ago when I was doing a master's program, one of the instructors there was Patrick Kiefert, and he wrote a book uh, called We Are Here Now. And uh, the book explores what does it look like as a church to recognize that we have been rooted, placed by God in a specific place, in a sp- specific time to participate in his mission, in the things that God is doing in this neighborhood, that God is doing in this community around us. This is the extension of the story of God became flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. 
And God established the church and invited the church into the neighborhood to be the presence of Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus in the neighborhoods in which we live, in the, in the neighborhoods, in the places in which we work. There's a story in the Old Testament about, um, about place and the power of place. It's, in fact, much of the narrative of the Old Testament. It began with God coming to a man named Abraham, and he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'm going to give you a place to call home. Your descendants will live in this beautiful land called Canaan. God says, I'm going to bless you and your descendants so that you can be a blessing in all of the world. Now, Israel's story is long and convoluted. Uh, Abraham and his family and all his belongings move to Canaan, but they're just a few people, right? Living in this massive land. Uh, eventually, there's a famine in the land, and they move down to Egypt where there's food, and they become powerful. And uh, the people of Abraham begin to to multiply. They're they're just it's prolific. They they have this beautiful existence in Egypt until Pharaoh realizes their uh, strength in numbers, and so the Israelites are enslaved for over. 400 years they live here in Egypt, wondering about that promise God had made about the place that would be theirs. What about this land of Canaan, the promised land, the land of all of our hopes? For 400 years they're enslaved in Egypt before God, through Moses, invites his people up up out of Egypt and... Um, and brings them to Canaan. And there's all sorts of other stories in here. Eventually, they win a battle at Jericho, and they begin to take Canaan. And here they are on the precipice, as we're going to read in Deuteronomy 6 in just a minute, on the precipice of entering this land, of occupying this land. And over and over throughout the story of Israel, and their move towards Canaan, and uh, they're beginning to take the land, God emphasizes, this is what you are to do when you enter the land, okay? Now, God will have all sorts of commands and laws for his people, but over and over, you'll see this one idea in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 6 repeated. God says this in Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk around and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads, write them on the door, door frames of your houses and on your gates." What was that command? It didn't have to do with how they should structure their government in a new land. It didn't have to do with the type of buildings they were supposed to build. Instead, God hones in on this. This is what you are to do when you move into your new place. First and foremost, love God. Love me with all of your being. Love me with all of your heart and your soul and your strength. This is God's call for his people, the Israelites, as they move into this promised land. In the most pivotal and monumental uh, place in their story, one of the most pivotal and monumental places in their story, God roots them in this. Love me. He goes on in verse 10, um, uh, to clarify, let me just scan forward and not read all of it. Um, in verse 12, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He says, love me and don't forget about me. And, you know, I, God knew the hearts of Israel. He knew what was to come. 
in their story and this journey. And he invites them uh, to this posture. I think he, know, he knew uh, how simple it is for us to move into a new place and puff out our chest and feel like we have accomplished so much, right? Israel could have easily taken that posture, and at times in their story, they do. They could forget about God taking on the gods of the other nation into which they moved, right? There's all sorts of things that could happen, but God's deepest request and first commandment to them is, love God. Don't forget about the things that I've done for you, for the ways that I've cared for you, but love me. You know, I love this as as we consider next steps as a church and uh, um, building or buying or moving into a new facility and finding ourselves more rooted in a neighborhood and a community. Um, I love this call from God. He says, but don't forget me and love me. Don't get so distracted in the process of building or remodeling a facility. Don't get so distracted by all of the things we could in life. Don't get so distracted that you forget me. Love me. It's a posture of worship that we are invited to, a God who provides, a God who is doing powerful things, inviting us to participate in the beautiful things that he is doing in this world. And so we demonstrate our love for him as we worship. And we worship here on Sunday mornings, and yet elsewhere in Scripture it describes our lives lived in sacrificial ways as a spiritual act of worship. We love God through the way that we live, the ways that we engage. So God says, love me. Don't forget about me, but love me with all of your being. Now, Jesus picks up on this later on. Um, Jesus, uh, hundreds of years later, is on earth, and he's being challenged by the Pharisees and Sadducees, religious rulers of the day. They're trying to discredit him, make him look dumb. And so one of them comes to him, uh, Matthew twenty two thirty four, 34, uh, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Pharisees, that, he, that is, he had properly answered their questions. The Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Sound familiar? Jesus knew the right answer. He knew exactly what God has called the Israelites uh, to. Uh, Love me with all of your being. Now, Jesus could have stopped right there at love God with all of your being, and he would have been absolutely correct. So I think it's interesting that he goes on to say more. They're trying to trap him in his words. Why not Jesus just give the right answer and walk away and be done with this? But he decides to stretch the bounds of this conversation. He, he, descri- he decides to go further. He said, that is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second, they didn't ask for this, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus says, Israel, speaking to Israelite people, he says, Israel, if you would learn to love God with all of your being and to love people in your life, you would be accomplishing all that God has required of his people. Love God and love people. Uh, Elsewhere, Jesus is challenged on this. They, again, want to make themselves sound good. And so they're like, yeah, but who is my neighbor? This last week, we kicked off youth group in our new location, which I'm super excited about. And um, we talked about this Matthew 22 passage together. 
And the kids had, uh, or our youth had remarkable insights on the passage uh, and the conversation about it. And one of the questions I asked was, who is your neighbor? And one of the beautiful things about it is a lot of our students could name their neighbors. Like they, they could tell, they could tell me who their neighbors were, who they knew. And then we broaden the conversation as Jesus does when he's challenged. So who is your neighbor? Jesus tells this story about a Samaritan. Now the Samaritans were the bane of Israel's existence. You did not want to travel through Samaria. You would not associate or talk with a Samaritan person. And Jesus tells a story in which the Samaritan is the hero. The Samaritan's the good guy. And, and he asked, he asked the person who's questioning him, so who was the neighbor in the story? And he's forced to answer, well, the Samaritan was. And Jesus is like, well, be more like a Samaritan, right? Do good to all people. He broadens this conversation of a neighbor, not just to the person that lives next door to me, not to, not just to the people that are easiest to love or that are most like me. He says, your neighbor is all people. The people that you come in contact are the people that you are to love. Love people. You know, as we as a church consider a move into a new facility, um, not knowing what neighborhood we'll be in or exactly what this will look like, uh, I find myself so curious about what it will look like to love people as God loves people in this place and this new opportunity. And though the specifics of a neighborhood and the specifics of uh, the vision that we have uh, moving into this new facilities, the way we can leverage it for community partnerships and other opportunities is going to be huge. But I think there's a few principles that are really significant. What does it look like to love people? Um, for me, one of the first words that comes to mind is hospitality. Uh, it's uh, sometimes a lost art, um, and yet a beautiful opportunity. Uh, we, we talk a lot here about table fellowship. Uh, that is, uh, conversations had over a meal. Many of the most uh, significant revelations in Jesus' ministry when he came and moved into the neighborhood happened at a dinner table. Like, read back through the Last Supper. I mean, over and over, his, his revealing himself to his followers after his resurrection, over and over in his story, it's sitting at a dinner table that the most profound things are, are revealed. And so hospitality must be central to us learning to love people. Here's the interesting thing. Hospitality is reciprocal. It's not one-sided. We don't go in with all the solutions or giving all of the resources. Hospitality is something we learn to both give and to receive from a community around us. We go into a neighborhood with a posture of listening rather than telling. I think this is significant to loving people well. What does it feel like in our relationships with a coworker or a spouse or whoever it might be when they do all the talking and our voice is never heard? So we enter places loving people well by learning to listen, to hear the stories of this community, of these people. And we go in with eyes to see and hands and feet willing to engage in a place. We started out talking today about the power in a place. And I wanted to talk about that today as we... Um, continue to seek vision as to where God is calling us to, uh, to what God is calling us to, to whom God is calling us to. 
There's power in a place. And when we fully occupy and realize the opportunity in the places God has brought us, I think the potential is phenomenal. So we've talked about that kind of as a church and the new facilities conversation, but there's a personal application today as well. I think it's incredibly important that we in our individual lives consider, where has God placed me? Like, why has God placed me in this place in this time with a call in my life to love him and to love other people? And so today I'd invite us each to think just for a moment, um, where has God rooted me in this season of life? We might think about our families. Sometimes it's hardest to love the people that we're in closest proximity to, to love them well, right? Um, maybe, maybe we're thinking today about our workplace. God has placed me in this business, in this office, in this place in my life right now. Where is God calling me to love better? You know, it, it would be really easy today to have this broad idea of, so love God and love people. And to never move towards kind of a more concrete step of what does that mean or look like in my life? This is what we talked about at youth group on Wednesday night. And again, the students had remarkable um, feedback on, on both levels. And I'd like to pose that same question to you. In what ways in life is God potentially inviting you to love him more fully? Now, here's the interesting thing. Love for God is both, in my opinion, uh, a choice and a gift from God. We'll look at the gifts of the Spirit later and how the the Holy Spirit uh, gives to us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Love is something that the Spirit is is producing in our lives. It's not entirely our own, and yet to choose to love God uh, in active ways, to choose to spend time with God is also on our plate. It is our invitation to love God more fully in life. And I wonder maybe in your life, what does it look like to engage more deeply in relationship with a God who loves. And secondly, are there people in my life right now that God is inviting me to love more fully, right? Love God and love people, all right? We could walk out of here saying, I'm just going to be a more loving person. And that's really good. Let's all do that. But I wonder if there's one or two specific people in life that God has been tugging at your heartstrings, that he's been reminding you about in the middle of the night, or that you felt prompted to make that phone call or send off that text. I wonder if there's people in our lives right now that God is saying, reach out in love. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Engage in love. And here is the reality of a lesson like this on a subject so vast. Um, This is how I feel about it, and maybe how a lot of us do. I don't have the capacity to love all these people. It's like this is an overwhelming call and invitation that Jesus has for our lives. I do not have capacity to love all of these people. And the reality is, I know in my life, when I'm stretched beyond my capacity, it can be detrimental both to me and to the people around me. And it's like, where are the boundaries? Like, how do I engage a loving life towards God and towards people well? And here's what I would say. Um, Boundaries are important. 
balance and ability to love well is incredibly important. And yet we serve a God who in Scripture is defined as love. And we're promised in Scripture that the Spirit is producing in our lives love. Like, I don't have in myself the capacity to love in the way Jesus calls us to, but there is a promise in Scripture that the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you is producing love. So here's my prayer for us today, that we would be so filled with the love of God through the Holy Spirit that it overflows into our worship for God and our love for people around us. Let's pray about that. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for an opportunity uh, to worship you today. Um, You are a good God, and we thank you. God, help us to um, know your love more and to reciprocate, uh, to live in relationship through your spirit, God. May we know more of you. And God, we pray that you will help us, uh, both as a church, as we consider uh, a move in the future, and as individuals in our homes and workplaces and neighborhoods, God, help us to learn to love people as you love people. God, give us your eyes to see people. Uh, give us the courage, the energy, the motivation uh, to engage in people's lives. God, teach us more of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, uh, I'm going to close out with these words. So may we love God with all of our being. May we be drawn towards people, and may the Spirit so fill us with the love of God that it overflows into the lives of others. Friends, have a blessed week.